Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. This is a story about Indianapolis real estate, but really it's not because this could be any city in the country. Any city in the country that has noticed that people aren't coming back to work and the office space that was so prized just four years ago is now an albatross hanging around the necks of companies who realize they're never going to fill that again. That's just not the way the world is working. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Guys, good to be with you. Glad to be here. The phone number, 833-468-8669. Find everything. TonyKatz.locals.com. In the IBJ, Mickey Shuey reporting, who is the, the real estate guy. Salesforce is giving up 25% of its space in the Salesforce Tower, which was the Chase Tower. It is the tallest building in the state of Indiana, which, by the way, freaks me out. That's the tallest building? That We, we can do better than that. We can do better than that. I want giant buildings built. Uh, who are you going to fill them with? That doesn't matter. It's like China. Just build buildings one after another. Ping, pow, ping. Put them up. I want a skyline that goes on for forever. Three floors at Salesforce Tower, about 61,700 square feet, are on the market for sublease. That is 24.7% of the 250,000 square feet they lease in the in, in the building. That's at 111 Monument Circle, if you haven't been to, to Monument Circle. When I'm in studio... Uh, in, in my in the downtown studios, I look over Monument Circle. I look over at Salesforce Tower. Uh, I am a, not a fan of Mark Benioff's. And, and the reason I'm not a fan of Mark Benioff's is that on a very, very personal level, Mark Benioff, I think, fails the smell test. The idea that you would offer Hoosiers money to relocate because of our position on abortion, but you don't offer the people of San Francisco money to relocate based on having to walk over human feces, never mind the crime of San Francisco, 24-7, 365, only proves that ideologically you're wrecked. I mean, you don't, you don't have a, a sense of the indecency when you go about attacking Hoosiers the way you do, and it happens repeatedly. With, with Mark Benioff. And, and it, it forces a question, in my view, doesn't there come a moment where you have to look at the company and say, maybe this isn't the place for you? Now, as a, as a uh, political leader, that's not, of course, what you want to do. You want to find ways to... Colts are getting ready to pick a quarterback, one would think. One would think that is the case. But I think the top story right now is that the Commanders, I'm sorry, the Redskins, Commanders, I can't keep up. They just sold for $6 billion. JMB joins us right now. He is the voice of sports in Indiana, 93.5-1075, the fan in Indianapolis, and this this commander's sale, this is the NFL's dream. They want it done with Dan Snyder any way possible, and they got a good one. Yeah, they did. There's no doubt about that. It's, um, it's a group, uh, Josh Harris, uh, billionaire, 
Uh, Magic Johnson, I think, the former NBA player, is a part of that group as well. And, again, this is just a preliminary thing. And I think there's a group, Tony, in Canada as well that still has a slight opportunity maybe to squeeze in there. But what you're saying is absolutely correct. They are down the path right now to where the NFL owners and the NFL in general are going to get what they want, and that's Daniel Snyder out of Washington. And, you know, as far as a parting gift, he's going to get upwards of six-plus billion dollars. So I'm assuming it's – Not a bad deal if you're going to get run out of the NFL in terms of being Daniel Snyder financially, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I get offered $6 billion all the time. Constantly. It's it's actually embarrassing at this stage of the game. But when we talk about why the NFL wants this, if you were describing it to a layman, 30 seconds, right, the elevator pitch, what is it that Dan Snyder, owner of the Commanders, was doing that was just not compatible with the NFL considering all the things the NFL gives, you know, a little bit of, of uh, flexibility to. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, there was um, allegations, certainly investigated allegations of sexual harassment within his organization, certainly under his watch for a sustained, a sustained amount of time. Um, the stuff that through this investigation, they had found out that through his leadership, his ownership was let go, was allowed to continue uh, things like that, it, it kind of just starts right there. Business tactics, I think, were also investigated along with this. And it just came to a point. I'm not, I don't really know all the full details within, but it just clearly came to a point where the NFL and its ownership and, and guidance in that ownership, Tony, felt the need that uh, that's not how they want to be represented as a whole. And I, I know that you know you, we, we're all hypocrites ultimately at, at something. And I know everybody – wants to poke holes, if they're anti this, wants to poke holes at some of these owners for, hey, look, that owner did that or that owner did this, whatever. But it was so egregious that through investigations, they felt the need to try to push for a change in Washington. And that's exactly what they did. And it looks like the wheels are turning right now to get that done sooner rather than later, Tony. One of the people who wanted that was uh, Jim Irsay, owner of the Colts, was was very vocal uh, about it a few months back. Uh, Dan Snyder should go. We'd be better off if the team w- w- was sold. Uh, is, is that – would you consider that out of character for, for Jim Irsay? No, I don't, Tony, because I think he wants to be a vocal leader moving forward of the NFL and its ownership. And I think we talked about this before. I think you can also look at it this way. I don't know if we talked about this, but in terms of people asking about Lamar Jackson, you know, Jim and, and people, some people want to reference this as collusion with its owners. But Jim Ursay was outspoken two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago in Arizona at the owners' meetings about not wanting, you know, guaranteed contracts would be bad for the NFL. His team needs a quarterback badly. His team would benefit from Lamar Jackson probably more than any out there. But he, his belief in that and his belief in wanting to be, Tony, a, I think a vocal leader of the NFL and its ownership, I think in this case that is a trump card for his understanding of maybe what he would need right now. I'll give you a great example. If this were to happen a year ago with Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson I think would be here. That's before Jim was outspoken. Uh, regarding Daniel Snyder before he was outspoken regarding guaranteed contracts. I think it was before he started wanting to be that vocal leader, that vocal guide for the NFL and its owners. I I think again, a year ago, it's just my speculation, but I think a year ago, a year ago, instead of Matt Ryan, if Lamar Jackson's available like this, I don't know if he sidesteps 
the issue uh, um, as much as he is hardcore about it. I, I think maybe he tries to find a way to work him in. It's just a different year, a different time, and, and Jim wants to be a vocal leader of the NFL and its owners. That is clear, and we'll see where it goes from there. Is that is that new? Like, did something happen where all of a sudden Jim Irsay, talking to JMV, by the way, 93.5, 107.5, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana, where all of a sudden, I mean, he wants to be this guy. Usually when we hear Jim Irsay speak, he's talking about how Andrew Luck is going to bring us 150 Super Bowls. He's talking about how uh, Matt Ryan was the right pick, right? He's always doing that and kind of setting up expectations that are that are not obtainable or don't get obtained and he's got to go back and eat it um this is a little bit different i i would i would assume is it it is it is evolving differently but this is something i've always admired about about jim he has so much admiration and respect for the past for the owners that helped mold the nfl to where it is today you know the hallis family the rooney family um, you know, the hunts, you can go down the line of those owners that helped the foundationally establish the NFL. He has a great deal of respect. And, Tony, I just think he's hit a point in his life to where he wants to uphold that that honor, that respect of the NFL moving forward and would like to be a vocal leader in that regard. But, really, the true grassroots of it does come from just his amount of respect and love that he got from those that built the NFL at those early foundational stages to get to where it is right now. Let's talk about somebody being outspoken. That is Coach Shane Steichen. We heard the audio from that first day with with the full team. Um, Was this the kind of talk you expected? Was this better than expected? Did you want more? Where did it leave you? Um, well, he, he, got, he actually got out more than, than five words. Normally, it's just like, hey, I coach football, and that's what I love. He is – it's funny. People call him this, Tony, all the time, just being about ball, and that's that's what he is. He may be, I think, maybe uh, longer-winded when he gets used to this right now, but he is focused on one thing, and that is that is football. Um yeah, that's just what the way that he is going to be. I don't think he's going to care about anything else. Like when I had him on, i give you a great example. When I had him on, I actually listened to a conversation he had prior to me because I wanted to see how he answered questions, and I'm glad I did because he's very short, and you have to be prepared for question after question, maybe two down the road for him. And he's not somebody that, well, you know, what do you do in your off time? He doesn't want to talk about that. He wants to talk about football and I look at it this way, Tony. I think he is the best coach. We'll see how things transpire. But I think he's the best coach for this situation right now because they need a sole focus on building this team back into a winner. And he is all about that. It is nothing else. It is football. It is all ball of time. And, you know, I think, I think that's exactly what this team and probably this organization, if you look at it as a whole, Tony, needs. The, te- the organization needs a quarterback. Yeah. And does. we have got the draft coming up. <laughs> Is this team decided on Will Levis out of Kentucky, or am I going to believe the reporting that, oh, uh, they're, they're talking to C.J. Stroud over there in Ohio. Oh, they're having a conversation. Oh, they're working him out. Oh, they're looking. Really? This happening? This possible? Tony, there's a lot of misdirection going on, uh, a lot of sandbagging going on. This is routine before any NFL draft. But I will tell you this. 
I, I, I mentioned this to you weeks ago, the, back in October, during that circus of a season this past year, I'd heard that the Colts were watching a lot of Will Levis. And I heard the Colts had a lot of interest in Will Levis. And the interesting aspect of it is I haven't heard anything different. And even beyond that, I'm not suggesting on the end-all, be-all of any information. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I haven't heard anything new. And then in the terms of just the rumor mill, you rarely, if at all, have heard anything regarding the Colts. Anything about the Colts wanting to move up to three. You know, the Colts had no interest in moving up to one. My philosophy is this. They had no interest in moving up to one. So you feel comfortable with whom you believe is going to drop in your lap at four. I think, again, my theory, they want Will Levis. They feel comfortable in Will Levis. And they feel comfortable that he is going to be there at number four after mounds of research they have done about the three teams. And even those teams, Tony, that could jump in Arizona's pick at number three and grab somebody as well. I just think because the lack of the rumor mill, we've heard they feel comfortable where they are getting what they want at four until I am proven otherwise, I believe that to be Will Levis. The voice of sports in Indiana, JMV, 93.5, The Fan. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Uh, it's not that I'm going to be upset that it's Will Levis. But if, if you're going to tell me that it's about, you know, sending out uh, misdirection, engaging in false flags, trying to confuse people, no one's confused. The point is, if we can figure it out, no one's confused in the NFL. They know the Colts want to take Will Levis. The question is, does somebody want Will Levis more than we want Will Levis? And if that's the case, they're going to try to engage something in order to get something out of the deal. Trading up to make a maneuver. Hey, we're going to hint this way. You might want to do this. That's what's going to happen. I don't think that, this is not this is not spy versus spy. There's nothing covert here. Everybody knows the play and the maneuver. Now, if in the fourth pick they go with somebody on defense, well, then that's a head fake. That would be a fake, but that's not what's coming. That's not it. The quarterback is necessary. You got Minshew to be the backup. And by the way, I I, I don't think that he doesn't... Uh, try out he, he doesn't take his shot to be the starter it's very very possible that Gardner Minshew could be a starter for this team I, I don't say no to that at all but he's clearly here to be that backup knowing Shane Steichen as he does knowing that offense and to be helpful to whoever uh, it, it is uh, that, they're, that they're bringing in if anybody thinks that this is a head fake, oh, it's Levis. They don't think you're going for Stroud. You're only talking to Stroud, so they don't go after Levis. Their answer is whoever they can get, they can get. That's my take. That's my take. I think that's where they're at. We get Stroud, we get Levis, whatever it is, cool by us. Thank you. Do they have somebody who's first? Maybe. But they're just going to deal with what falls. I don't think anybody is faking anybody out here. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Part of my conversation with Dr. Sue Elsperman, president of Ivy Tech Community College, I want to know who's getting the jobs and who's offering the jobs. What are the jobs paying? Because if we're going to have all this talk about universities, oh, you got to go to college. Oh, you got to have the degree. Well, show me where the money is, kid. 
Show me where the money is. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Find everything, TonyKatz.Locals.com. And we've been doing this whole thing on my on my morning show, Ivy Tech Week, and really, really do appreciate the fact that Dr. Sue Elsman was like, yeah, we're in, and, and we did this whole long conversation, and there will be others. But we, we really did, I mean, as much as we got into graduation rates and who's graduating and students are trying to attract and men and women, urban and rural, got into the real meat of the matter. What is the value? Does the university have value? Does the two-year university have more value than the four-year? Two-year college, I should say. Have more value than the four-year university? And who's getting the jobs? And it was that conversation that kind of wrapped up our, our talk of the week when we started getting into the idea of value. The, where the value proposition looks different is when you're talking um, full freight at a residential, public, private, then that's a big investment. It's right? a huge investment. It's I, a huge I'm investment. And, but there you are trying to sell Ivy Tech against Purdue and IU and Ball State, and they're talking about football games, and they're talking about basketball games, and they're talking about campus life. You don't get to sell any of that. We I don't. Mean, you really and truly, I mean, unless there's a campus life thing I don't know about, nope. you don't get to sell that. Is the sell solely an economic one? I'd say economic and quality, because I will tell you, uh, Purdue studied our transfer students several years ago, and how they did at Purdue. And our students did just as well as the native students did at Purdue. They graduated on time. They had the same outcomes uh, as those other students. So I know, we know that what we do is high quality, it's affordable, and it gives the student, gives the graduate the career path and the pathway to the future, to a bachelor's, to a master's, to whatever their goals are that a four-year institution residential does. I can't compete with athletics or uh, residential life, but that is not what every student is looking for. Did you know that a, a pretty significant number of traditional 18-year-olds having experienced remote learning for two years went straight to online education. They didn't go through a four-year. They're, they're making different choices. So I think we're at a transition point to what happens post-high school. Our job at Ivy Tech is to make sure that we're here to, to be that spot for the serious learner who has a career in mind uh, and wants to get there in the best way possible. And we're going to work with them uh, to get there. Talking to Dr. Sue Elsperman, president of Ivy Tech Community College. I agree on the inflection point conversation. I think that's exactly where we're at. And that's why I start with that conversation about St. Francis College in Brooklyn ending its athletics, uh, because I, I, I would argue that while some might say, well, this is actually a Title IX conversation, uh, this is actually a conversation about dollars and cents, the amount of students out there who are finding another way to engage in education. I absolutely believe that that's happening. I actually believe that's a benefit uh, to Ivy Tech and what Ivy Tech has to 
to offer. We have a clear disagreement on the marketing conversation uh, regarding, for example, DEI. But if you take a look, I, I have a, a, a child who's, who's looking at, at schools now. Every single university, every single one has some commentary to this thing which I, I have serious discussions to be had uh, about it and, and serious disagreements. I agree about the inflection point. I absolutely believe that that is the case and that what you're selling seems much more attractive to students, but nothing seems as attractive as the sweet, sweet cash they're going to make with the job that you're going to help them get. You talk about employers. Who are they? What are the fields? What are they paying? It. So uh, hundreds of employers across Indiana, right? So that could be anywhere from Cook Group in Bloomington to Old National Bank out of Evansville and across the state of Indiana uh, to Cummins, to Eli Lilly, to, you know, you name an employer and they are taking Ivy Tech graduates. And in many cases, we're helping them skill up their workforce for the next jobs that are coming. Oftentimes, those are in areas where automation or IT or other advanced uh, industries where there's new credentials that are needed. But we work with virtually every employer in the state of Indiana. And so, yes, we're the place where you can launch and move in to work at that company. We're also the place where that company comes alongside us and asks us to help skill up their workforce. What are the top three? What are the top three degrees, certificate? You do their degrees, right? You, that's how. Yeah, we, uh, top three. Can I actually give them? Uh, nursing would for sure be one of the top three good. with over thirteen hundred ASNs I a year. Yes, on. that's a it's a very important one. Um, I will get back to you and I will say, let me give you some of the top ones. Okay. Uh, we, we graduate more software developers than anywhere else in the state. We have, you know, in the hundreds of probably low thousand of business administration, right? Going into business careers um, in the IT arenas, there's going to be cybersecurity um, in a oh, welding, hundreds of welding credentials, a year and industrial maintenance, um, uh, automation and robotics, you know, think about those. But I know as I'm saying this off the top of my head, Tony, I'm sure I haven't given them to you in any good order. So we owe you that and we'll be happy to get you that top 10 list if you'd like to, to which, which those are. But they look different on every campus because, right, what mm -hmm. North West Indiana and Lake County might need for their employers is going to look different than Indianapolis or Evansville or Sellersburg. I, I had asked some of the questions about men and women and urban and, and rural about about how you're 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 reaching out to people and how you get people involved and engaged. Is it, 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 I, I we take a look at these four year universities? Is there a need? Still, I mean, this, this is a, a, a this is a question about how people see the world. This is a question of how people see the job market. You're very connected to that job market. You talk about the number of employers. You call yourself loyal between the student and the employer. You're talking about the employers that you connect with. Is the four-year degree still necessary to make a living in tomorrow's world? 
I will say a qualified yes. The four-year degree, bachelor's and beyond, are not going away in the next few years. Will they? Somewhere down the line, a decade or more, there will be certain uh, professions like engineering and medical school and uh, legal professions like being a lawyer that will require significant post-secondary, which will probably look like a bachelor's, master's, PhD, JD, et cetera. What will greatly expand will be all the other credentials that employers really care about, which will look like more like certificates, industry certifications, badges, micro-credentials of all kinds. That's going to grow tremendously. That while we will still stack to bachelor's, master's, and beyond through our associate group, we are blurring the lines, clearly blurring the lines, and clearly among the, the top quartile of institutions who are going to change the world at the request of employers, alongside employers, to create the exact credentials, the exact skills, if you will, and competencies that they need in a workforce to be highly productive, to be paid well, to have a, a very prosperous company, which allows prosperous uh, employees, right? Great, great wages, great salaries. And we're going to lean in to that side while still living. We'll have a foot in both worlds. Mm -hmm. but, but my prediction is that this other side, this non-bachelor's side is going to grow the most. And we're going to be there and we're, you know, our new tagline, higher education at the speed of life is very purposeful. It understands that the world is changing, that employers need different competencies and skills and want that employee uh, sooner than four years or six years or whatever it would take. And how do we walk alongside and help the, the student, the future employee and the employer uh, get what's needed? So let me just follow up on that real quick. Is it that four years isn't necessary or is it that the employer needs them in two? Those are two very different things. But the answer is yes to both, because that's why when we look at the nursing expansion that we did, uh, CEOs of our largest healthcare system, they didn't have four years to wait for more nurses to begin expanding programs. But Ivy Tech can produce high quality nurses who will be wonderful at your and my bedside in two years. That is a high value. Those nurses are still likely going to get their BSN. While they're working, they're going to complete a bachelor's in nursing and maybe a master's and maybe a doctor, a nurse practitioner. But it's a it's a yes. It's a yes to both sides. They there is a need to get people into the workforce faster in the highest demand areas. And there is no longer always a need for what was in that traditional four-year degree. We know employers are revisiting their job descriptions to say, do we really need a bachelor's degree for that? Do we really need uh, what we listed here as a prerequisite, right? So that's, that is changing. And while that's changing, let's think what 
that employee really needs to succeed. And that's where Ivy Tech will fit. Now, who was it that was listening to my show and said, we have to call Tony Katz? <laughs> and do they still have a job? <laughs> they do. So let me tell you who it was. It was Courtney Roberts, the president of our foundation. So if you'll indulge me. Sure. Um, we Wait, the new president of the foundation. She's the new president of the foundation. She's been with us just a little over a year. Uh, and we are just completing a very successful capital campaign. And in parallel, Tony, we are celebrating our 60th anniversary this year. So on April the 11th, we will have our first ever Ivy Tech Day, the Ivy Tech Day of Giving, uh, 24 hours of giving for that foundation. So certainly uh, indulge us uh, to share that with you uh, on April the 10th. The AES building on Monument Circle will have uh, be lit up green for Ivy Tech to celebrate uh, our 60, 60th birthday. So we're we're very excited and I couldn't be more proud about this institution where we've come from little storefronts across dotting Indiana 60 right. years ago is that Indiana Vocational Technical College to where we are today. And uh, and we have great support in this state. My thanks to Dr. Sue Elsperman, President Ivy Tech. I only hope that I'm able to to, to work with them. I, I've said this now many times. Uh, people in in our position, people on the political right mainly. I know a lot of people listen to this show, but it's specific to people on the political right. You're you're talking about things. We talk about things, but we don't necessarily get involved in the things. We're involved in our own things. And, and we're like, oh, education, oh, just pull them out of education. You don't need this. I got to take a different tact. There are times where you absolutely pull your kid. Uh, as we discussed, the school system's totally not working. Private school, charter school, uh, vouchers, all of it. I'm all down. I agree with that. But I also agree with the idea that we should have more people on the political right becoming teachers. More people on the political right involved in the education itself. I think that's one of the ways you solve the problem. I think that's one of the ways you win. You got to have your voice be heard. So um, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I don't know how it's going to go. I don't know if it's going to work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer myself up, and I don't know. Maybe there's something I can do. I dig what Ivy Tech does. I dig the concept. And we're paying for it. So it's good that it's working. I just want to maybe help it work better. I think I can. I'm going to try. I'm going to see if they'll talk to me about it. I will keep you updated. Keep- so now the FBI is investigating these bomb threats that happened all over the state of Indiana for school districts. It led to school closings. It led to e-learning days uh, all over the place. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Uh, the people over at Noblesville School says the bomb threat was sent to approximately 40 school districts throughout Indiana. It was Center Grove schools that closed. Uh, they said that Homeland Security is investigating, uh, and you had Speedway schools where their superintendent, Kyle Trebley, 
uh, said they were notified of the of the bomb threat, and after speaking, quote, to local law enforcement and receiving a recommendation from the Indiana Intelligence Fusion Center, we used the information available to make the best decision we could in a short amount of time. We determined to make the safest decision for our students out of an abundance of caution. Abundance of caution has been the terminology. Uh, the, the anonymous sender... Uh, according to uh, Fox 59, one of your schools has a bomb inside. It is well-built, solid, and discreetly located. Pray to God, Allah is the greatest. Now, this is how it's reported by Fox 59. This is the anonymous sender. Because something is written, I wanted to make sure I had made this point. That does not mean that's what it meant. It doesn't mean that's who it was from. an an anonymous email until an investigation is done do not make a determination from that I shared it with you as it is I'm telling you don't do it don't be the people making oh well you see who it was you don't know who it was somebody writes something it doesn't make it uh, well that means they're this that or the other means somebody wrote an email somebody made these threats Let the investigation happen. Let the investigation go forward. Don't suppose. Don't assume. Give it time. Because no matter what gets said today, we're not going to really have a full understanding of this until Monday. There's just just no way based based on, well, history of how these things work. So take a breath. Take a beat. Tell your kids to be aware. And I will catch you guys on Monday, everyone. You be good. Take care. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today.